I'm actually going to begin today's message also with a word of prayer, which I know I don't always do that, uh, but I do want us to go to the Lord in prayer. There are many of us today that have likely come with very little anticipation as to what God might want to do here in us today. Uh, We are here because it's Sunday, and that's what we're supposed to do. This is where we're supposed to be. But I want us to pray today that God would do something spectacular in and through us. Some of us are desperately in need of God's miraculous move. Some of us are filled with great fear over the things that are taking place around us. And others are without vision or direction, just floundering in our faith and in our lives. I would suggest that we all need a special move of the Holy Spirit today. So let's go to him in prayer right now. Father, as we come before you today, we are surrounded by uncertainty and craziness. In recent weeks, we have experienced things that most of us never really expected in our own lifetimes yet they are absolutely here. I pray that you would use this time this morning to open our eyes to what you long to accomplish through these things. And I pray that you would use this as a time to bring conviction upon us so that we would never be okay remaining in our sin. Instead, prepare us for what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I heard someone recently share that there are three uh, reasons why we share the gospel. The first one is because all people are dying. The second is because all people who die without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell. And the third is because nobody knows when the judgment of Christ will actually take place. My friend who shared that with me was correct. These are the reasons that we share Christ in the world around us. In fact, these same three principles are what has driven the church for the past 2,000 years. You see, since the time of Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, three things have remained constant. Death, people are dying. Sin, people are sinning. And hope the promise that one day Jesus would return. And as such, the world has been eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. In fact, that is the only thing that can truly change those first two factors. The only thing that will change the fact that death is a constant is Jesus Christ and his return. The only thing that will change the fact that sin exists continually in our world will be Jesus Christ and his return. Now, this is not going to be my primary text this morning, but I want to begin by reading a short passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. I already read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 for most of our service today. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, this is what it says beginning in verse 1, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being 
and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now skipping down to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. If you remember last week, I referenced Jesus' words as he declared that no man knows the day nor the hour, but only the Father knows when Christ will return. Well, that is still true today. I don't know when the Lord is going to come back, but what I do know is that this world absolutely has a sense of finality. What I mean by that is just is that just as the world absolutely has a starting point, there will also be an ending point for this world. It will come at the end of what we refer to as the last days. Sure, some will scoff at it. They'll reach a point where they no longer anticipate Christ's return, but it will happen. And until that day comes, there will be death and there will be sin, just as I've already mentioned. But on that day, our hope will be realized. Consider Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14. Again, I mentioned this is my primary text this morning, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. It says, beginning in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Obviously, I've used this passage often at funerals as we experience the very terminal nature of life. After all, whether you are a child of God or not, we will all die. But for those of us who are in Christ, we have a hope that overcomes death. And that hope is based on the fact that Jesus has already overcome death. Because we believe in the resurrection of Christ, there is the promise of resurrection that awaits us too. The fact that Jesus overcame, it means that we too are able to overcome it only by his grace and power. Now, I do want to share just one thing with you regarding this promised resurrection. The idea of a great resurrection day coming for the children of God was not something that originated after Christ's resurrection. We know that because of a conversation that took place just prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Lazarus had died, and Jesus is now comforting Martha. Remember when Jesus approached, Lazarus had already been dead for three or four days. His body had begun to decay, and here they are, they're weeping. And in John eleven twenty three, Jesus declares that her brother will rise again. That shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. It didn't come as a surprise to Martha. 
Her response was simple. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus had not yet been resurrected, but the belief in the resurrection was already present among God's people. It's because this wasn't a new idea. It wasn't something that, uh, it wasn't a, a plan B, a second option, but rather God's plan all along was for us to spend eternal life with him. All the way back at the moment of sin entering the world, back when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that was forbidden to them, God already had a plan to redeem them, to bring them back, to make them whole, to have a place where God's people could live for eternity in the presence of God without sin and without death. We see the resurrection foretold in both the Old and the New Testament. Another part of this hope is found in the promise that when that day comes, there will be a great reunion for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Let this be a a word of encouragement to each of us today. That means that your loved one's funeral was not the last time that you will see them. Your brother, your sister, your spouse, your parents... Your children today will do a funeral for uh, a former pastor. There will come a day when we will see all of our loved ones again. There will come a day when we will enter into the presence of God and we will rejoice over his presence, but we won't be alone. In Hebrews, we're we're told of a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone on before us, and that will include not only the, the saints of the Old Testament, those who demonstrated great faith, but it'll include all those who have become a part of the body of Christ over the last 2,000 years as well. And we will all join together once again. Last week, I quoted a country music song by Ricky Van Shelton. Today, I'll share one from Colin Ray. Sorry, you guys are going to listen to country music. I've been listening to it a little bit lately. These are old country songs. In his song, If You Get There Before I Do... He says, I read those words just hour before my grandma passed away in the door of a church where me and grandpa stopped to pray. I know I'd never seen him cry in all my 15 years, but as he said these words to her, his eyes filled up with tears. If you get there before I do, don't give up on me. I'll meet you when my chores are through. I don't know how long I'll be, but I'm not going to let you down, darling, wait and see. And between now and then, till I see you again, I'll be loving you, love me. You see, those lyrics are based on the biblical teaching that we will one day see our loved ones again who have already fallen asleep in Christ. So don't grieve the way others do. Yet you will still miss your loved ones. But don't grieve the way others do because you know you have a hope. There will come a day when you will see them again and you will be able to rejoice because of what God has done to bring you back together. And what is it that makes all of this possible? It is the fact that Jesus is coming again. This is not a theory. It is a promise that Jesus himself made. He said that if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back to take you so that you may be where I am. And in our passage today, we read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, can you imagine what that will look like? You're going through all the hustle and the bustle of your world. There are people fighting in the streets. There are politicians lying about each other. There are people engaging in their drug addiction, in their sexual immorality, and every other type of sin. You have people devoting themselves to all kinds of religious faiths, not including even Christianity. You have others who are focused on their studies, or they have merely anticipated that today will be just like any other day. But there's one other group. There are also those who have been constantly looking forward to the day of Christ's return. They are praying. They are seeking the Lord. They're tired of what they see in this fallen, broken world in which we live today. And suddenly, the clouds part. People are not necessarily looking up at first, but then a mighty voice, the archangel thunders. The trumpet call of God is sounded. And suddenly the dead in Christ return to life. In our crazy world in which we live, this will be viewed as the zombie apocalypse, basically. All of a sudden, dead individuals rise back to life. By now, everyone is either looking up or they're hiding. But then it gets better. The next thing you know is the believers who have been standing on the ground watching in awe, seeking this day, looking forward to the day when Christ would return. Suddenly, they're lifted off the ground and escorted into the presence of an almighty God. The prize that awaits us, according to 2 Timothy 4.8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is going to be a great day. It may seem scary at first because, well, we don't see this all the time. But what it will turn into is one of the greatest celebrations humanity has ever experienced. Obviously, that'll be a great moment, but it, it'll go beyond that. I've shared with you before, my favorite verse of scripture is one of celebration. It's one of overcoming. Revelation 3.21, which declares, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. It's a promise from Jesus himself saying, You'll be able to sit not at the feet of Jesus, not near Jesus, not across from him, not on the floor. You will be able to sit with him on his throne. You'll be sitting in the lap of Jesus. You'll be able to rejoice with him. When that day comes, it will be a day of great rejoicing. To me, this sounds like a beautiful thing, but I confess that there is an image here that causes me great sorrow and pain. It is not for me. I know that I am ready, but I am concerned for those who will remain on the ground as my feet are lifted into the air, those who are without Christ. I remember an old Christian song that has been around for years entitled, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. How devastating that day will be for those who are not yet ready for his return. 
I have a question for you today. It's one that I've already loosely addressed, but it's related to the beginning of chapter 5. I know that Jesus said that no man knows the day nor the hour, but I, like many of Jesus' disciples, can't help but wonder when Jesus might return. Three of the Gospels record Jesus' description of what it will be like as signs and wonders occur. They're found in Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke chapter 21. All three of them overlap with each other, and they're all very similar. So I went back through just to look at some of the signs that we should look for to tell us when the Lord is going to return. He doesn't give us a specific day, doesn't give us an hour. He simply tells us these are some of the things that will take place in the last days. I made a list of them. False Christs. There will be those who claim to be the Christ. There will be those who claim to point people to the Christ. But they do not really do those two things. They are not Jesus Christ. He will not come as a surprise. The image that we've already read this morning tells us that he will come. The skies will basically open up. And he will come down from the clouds and there will be the sound of an archangel. Sounds like thunder and a trumpet will blast. You will know that it is he. When an individual tells you that they are the Christ and they did not come in this way, that tells me they are not the Christ. This is not something new. So what we live in. For decades, probably even centuries, there have been those who have claimed to be the Christ. It is the world we live in. Wars and rumors of war. We have seen war, I know, my entire lifetime. Look back over the last century. We have seen World War I, World War II. We have seen the Korean War, Vietnam War, the, the wars in Iraq, in Afghanistan. There are wars that have been taking place constantly. I want you to note that when these wars and these rumors of war take place, it is not a sign of the end, but a sign that the end is near. It should not surprise us that these things are happening. The only thing I will add to this wars and rumors of wars is that in recent days, it seems to have come to our homeland. Famine. <laughs> Famine is something that has plagued our world for many, many years, especially in Africa, but even today in the United States is there are many today that struggle with a lack of food, disease. Over the past seven months, we have had to endure a new disease called coronavirus. It has caused the world to shut down in many ways. It is not just the United States, but rather all around the world. I was looking this morning and nearly two million people have died according to the most recent totals around the entire world from this one disease. Add to that the diseases that have taken place previously. I think of the AIDS virus. For decades, this has been a struggle since the early 80s. This has been a struggle in the United States, but again, even around the world. Cancer is destroying lives and families. This is not something that's new, but it is a sign of the last days being in place. Martyrdom is one that we see listed 
Christians betraying one another, turning on each other. There are places around the world where people are not allowed to worship. And if they do, they run the risk of either being arrested or even killed. You have no idea how good we have it here. This is a reality for many today. Lawlessness. <laughs> Recent days. Riots. Fighting in the streets. Anti-police activity. Lawlessness is actually described in Matthew 24 as something that will take place. Again, it is not a sign that the end is here, but rather that it is near. A loss of love, hearts being waxed cold. We see that individuals will live as they did in the days of Noah. It's interesting that Jesus, as he is describing what the last days will be like, he references back to a previous time of judgment. In the days of Noah, what were the things that were taking place? The people were living life. They were having fun. They were enjoying themselves. People were getting married and having children. All those are normal things that you would see. But what we also see taking place during that time period was incredible immorality. Everybody was unrighteous. Everybody lived as for themselves as opposed to as for the Lord. And what happened was God's judgment came upon all of humanity with one family's exception. I would say that even for them it was different. There was still great suffering and hardship. Can you imagine being Noah and his family as they sat on the ark and the rains began to fall? And God had already closed the door to the ark. And all of a sudden, people began to realize, we're not going to make it. Can you imagine them hearing the screams of others, begging for help, begging for grace? Can you imagine the suffering they experienced that day? There's one last thing that I would add to this. As we see in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, the very last thing we see is that the gospel message will be proclaimed to the entire world. Now, I'll say this, 100 years ago, that seemed like an impossible task. You mean we're going to go tell everybody around the world that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? We sent missionaries to go and to proclaim the good news. We still send missionaries to go and proclaim the good news around the world. It seemed like an impossible task, but the truth is we live in a society that has advanced very much. Even today, we mentioned it already, but our service is taking place here, but it is being seen around the world. There are individuals who will watch this service in other countries, in Egypt. There are some who are in the military who have contacted me and said, hey, we're watching from our base. There are other individuals who are watching from their homes. The point is technology has made it possible for the gospel message to be proclaimed throughout the entire world very, very quickly. If I didn't know any better, I'd think that the things that we see in Matthew 24, I think that these were written in the past couple of weeks simply describing the current state of affairs in America and around the world. But this is actually what was described 2,000 years ago regarding the last days. I already said, I don't know when the Lord will return, but it certainly appears that we could be in the last days already.
1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3 says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains of a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You know, the sad reality is that although all the signs are laid out for us, his second coming will still come as a shock and a surprise to most of the world. Even though we have this roadmap that details all those things that I just mentioned, for most of the world, we will act surprised when it happens. I remember several years ago, it was late one night, my mom was safely in her Alexandria, Virginia apartment for the night. Suddenly, she received a knock at the door. Peering through the peephole, she saw a rough-looking gentleman whom she had never met before. She was careful not to make any noise so that he wouldn't know that she was there. And she simply waited, hoping that he would go away. But he didn't. He continued to knock on the door. Finally, her phone rang, and it was the Alexandria City Police Department. One of their plainclothes officers had been knocking on her door. Apparently, unbeknownst to her, her car had been stolen by several young men, and the police were investigating. I got, I got enough time. It's okay. I'll tell you how they got caught. It's just, it's very humorous. Uh, they had stolen her vehicle, and they pulled out of the parking lot and pulled up to another vehicle at the stoplight and asked the guy to roll down his window. He rolled down his window and said, hey, we're trying to get back to Maryland. We got turned around. Can you point us in the right direction? So he gave them directions, and as they pulled off, he realized that they had Virginia license plates. So the individual began to follow. Now, what those young men didn't know, this is the beauty of God and the irony that takes place here. The gentleman that they stopped to ask directions from was actually a police officer in the Stolen Cars Division of uh, the Alexandria City Police. So he began to follow, and that's why they sent someone to her door to check and to see if she had given permission for someone else to use her vehicle. They ended up in a police chase, and obviously they ended up getting her car back. Uh, the car was slightly damaged and all of that, but the irony was my mom didn't want to let the guy in who actually could have helped. I probably wouldn't have let him in either. I just want to make that clear. The point is that she thought she was safe, but that was actually when she was most vulnerable. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, almost without warning. I say almost because I've already shared with you that there are many warnings that have already been issued. We see them. You turn on the news today and you will see the warnings sitting right in front of you. But not everyone needs to be surprised by these things. Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So we're not surprised by it here. 
nor can we do anything to stop it. I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons why I'm sharing this today, I do want you to be able to evaluate where you are spiritually. I want you to make sure that if that day were today, that you are ready. But in addition to that, I want us to look at the events that are taking place around us, maybe from a little bit different perspective. We see some of the brokenness that's taking place around us, some of the ugliness of our world. And our thought is, what can we do to stop these things from happening? But the fact is, these are things that are going to happen whether you want to stop it or not. The day of the Lord will come, and these things must take place before that day comes. Instead, we must continually live in preparation of that day. As our world is torn by all these things, as we see suffering and division, as we see disease and tragedy, it is not a reason for us to panic and to suddenly live in fear and despair. Instead, we must continue to look to Christ and to point to Christ. Look at verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. In the passage I read earlier from 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. It has never been more important that God's people live like God's people. When we see these things, we must pray. We must be faithful. We must point people to Christ. Maybe there's someone here today who needs to make sure that they are ready for Christ's return. I told you we don't know when it's going to take place. Maybe it'll be today. Maybe it'll be 100 years down the road. Maybe today you need to make sure that you are ready. If you are not yet ready, today is the day that you need to seek Christ. Maybe you still don't have all the answers. Maybe you're still a little bit unsure of what this Christian faith is all about. The only thing I can tell you is that it is not about science or government or money or anything else, those things won't be able to save you. There's nothing that can provide hope for humanity except for Jesus Christ. The only thing that will end death, the only thing that will end sin will be Jesus Christ and his return. He is and always will be the best option that you will ever have. Maybe there are others here today that want desperately to see a loved one come to Christ Maybe it's your child, maybe it's your brother, your sister, maybe it is your spouse. You already pray for them, and I encourage you to continue to pray for them, but maybe what God is calling you to do is to speak up to them, 
to share about the hope of Jesus Christ. Maybe it is time for you to be the one to point them to Christ. I spoke earlier of a conversation with a friend who identified why we share the gospel, those three reasons. That same individual reflected on a problem that has plagued the church for decades. Since that conversation, I have had a follow-up conversation with a district superintendent outside of our denomination who would agree with his assessment. He shared that one of the reasons the American church is in decline is because people are not actively sharing the gospel with their neighbors. You have board members, you have Sunday school teachers, even pastors who have never led someone else to Jesus Christ. Many are respected as knowledgeable and business smart, but most have not even shared the gospel with their family and friends. Maybe God is calling you to break that trend. You know, it's interesting. I I was reading George Barna uh, this week, and he does a lot of statistical information specifically related to the church and Christianity. There's a wide range here, but according to his numbers, between 50 and 75% of the people who give their hearts to Christ, they will do so because of a family member or a friend who shared the gospel with them. Less than 6%, it was about 5.5%, will come to Christ because of what the pastor said from the pulpit. That means the overwhelming majority, our first thought is, you know, I want to bring someone to church so I can introduce them to Jesus. Well, if less than 6% of the people come to Christ because of what the pastor said from the pulpit, maybe the pastor isn't the one who should be leading your friend or your family member to Christ. Maybe it's you. You see, the reality is death is coming. God's judgment is coming. And you will be the greatest tool to reach your loved ones for Christ. Some of you today need to make sure that your heart is right. Some of you need to do something about your friends and your family members' hearts that maybe you're not right. I want to challenge you today to, first of all, pray for them constantly. Maybe there's someone right now that you have already pictured in your mind who needs to know Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you right now, begin to pray fervently for them. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It means it makes a difference when we pray. But I also want to challenge you. You be the one to go and share with them the love of Jesus Christ. If you've got a family member that you know they're living in sin, you go out of the way to love them into the kingdom. And I don't mean just you being nice to them. The greatest love you will ever show to someone else is to show them Jesus Christ. So I challenge you today. You be his hands and feet. I don't know when the Lord's coming back. Make sure you're ready. Make sure the people you love are ready. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you. And we, first of all, we are so grateful for you and the love that you have displayed to us. We've been waiting for the day of your return for a long time. We've been expecting you to return. The disciples asked when you would come 
Many of them expected it to happen in their own lifetimes. For 2,000 years, we've been waiting for this day when you would return. Father, I pray today that you would speed your coming, that you would put an end to death, that you would put an end to sin. But I pray that as you do, that you would also make sure that, first of all, we are ready. That there be one here today that they know the truth, but they have not truly surrendered their lives to you and embraced your grace. Lord, I pray right now that you would completely wash away their sin. You tell us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just. You will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray right now that our sins would be forgiven. And I pray that we would look forward to the day of your return, not with fear, but rather with excitement, with anticipation, eagerly awaiting the day when everything would change. No more sin, no more death. Father, I pray that we would be ready if it happens today. I pray that we would be ready tomorrow. I pray that every day moving forward, we would live as those who are looking to the heavens, awaiting your return. Father, I pray today for our loved ones. There are people in our minds and hearts right now that we know that if you came back today, they are not yet ready. Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak to their hearts immediately. Even before we leave this building, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and they would recognize their need for you. I pray that conviction would come over their hearts and they would immediately recognize that they do not have what it takes, but they can through you. I pray that you would use us to go and be the light, to tell them about this hope, this faith that we have. And I pray that you would produce incredible fruit. Do whatever it takes to bring them into a right relationship with you. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for all the mercy that you've shown to us. We pray now that the day would come very soon that you would return. And I pray that when that day comes, it would be a day of great rejoicing for each of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I will say that this is a little bit different sermon for you today, but it's one that I think we need to hear. Because the truth is, Christ is returning. Again, I don't know when, but according to the signs of the times, it could be very, very soon. So let's make sure we're ready. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.